Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. And the playoffs have finally arrived. Uh, The seedings are set, the teams are locked in, and we are finally, finally good to go. It's uh, it's good to be into the playoffs. Uh, The playoffs to me are basically like... Another season, essentially, basically an entirely second season uh, in the NBA, and it's the most exciting part of the season, obviously, and it's finally here. So today we're going to go over, you know, maybe recap a little bit of the fun things that happened in the 2018-2019 regular season. Uh, a lot of these things people tend to forget about, and we're also going to talk about the playoffs as a whole, not necessarily a breakdown of each individual matchup. You know, there's the the one eight uh, two seven three six four five in each conference. We're not necessarily going to go in depth into all of that. There's tons of podcasts that cover that, but I just want to talk about a lot of the differences between the regular season and the playoffs, and the different kind of things that come with the playoffs as opposed to the regular season. So, like I said, let's start off by recapping uh, the 2018-2019 season events. So, the, the fun things, things you might have forgot about, some crazy uh, d- <laughs> different uh, types of events. So, let's get to it. They're not all necessarily in order, but let's get to it. Let's start off with the, remember the Jimmy Butler versus the Timberwolves situation? What a nightmare that was where Jimmy Butler was calling out the organization. He was playing uh, the starters in practice when he was uh, running with the third stringers saying, I want Cat, Cat is soft, referring to Carl Anthony Towns. What an event that was. Then we move on to the Rondo versus CP3 fight where Rondo spit in CP3's face and there was some punches thrown there. That was quite the event. Brandon Ingram got four games, if you remember for that as well. Another fight, the Ibaka versus Chris fight. That happened later in the regular season where the Cavs... uh, had the win over the Raptors, one of the few wins, a uh, few good wins, I should say, that the Cavs got that season. And uh, Ibaka went all out, choking Chris, put him into the stanchion. Ibaka got three games for that. The mocking of the refs that went on during the season, uh, being the Warriors, if you remember, against the Timberwolves, uh, where I think there was a shooting foul on Kevin Durant, and the refs didn't want to call it a shooting foul. And then Steph hit the three in the corner and was basically pointing and laughing at the refs along with some social media antics that caused Steph, Draymond, and KD to get fined. And in addition, CP3 mocking uh, Ken Maurer putting his hands up uh, when he was talking to Harden during the Clipper game later in the year. That was also very funny. Uh, the Warriors also mocking Fergie's boyfriend uh, with the locker room uh, remix. Uh, Banner, yeah, yeah. If you'll remember that exactly, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I had I found myself laughing quite a bit at that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Magic stepping down, that happened just recently, did not tell Genie Bus whatsoever. And then basically talking about how he wanted to tweet more and how he didn't want to be President Magic Johnson, just wanted to go back to being himself and uh, appreciating the league and how he couldn't even and tweet his uh, farewells to uh, Wade and Dirk, uh, which is a little bit hilarious. That whole Lakers season has been a bit of a fiasco for what it's worth. And I guess we should comment on Wade and Dirk's retirement. That was kind of an ongoing thing throughout the season. Great for those guys too. Hall of Famers, no doubt. What else we got? Oh, the Marshawn and Dylan Brooks trade, the three-way trade, which I think was between the Suns, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards, where the Suns believed they were getting Dylan Brooks and not Marshawn Brooks, which led the trade 
led the trade to be kind of shot down uh, in a matter of, you know, about 30 minutes where Adrian Wojnarowski was kind of tweeting the live updates and uh, ended with a tweet that said, the deal is dead which was absolutely hilarious. J.R. Smith throwing soup at an assistant. I don't, That was kind of underreported at times, but J.R. Threw, threw soup at an assistant. Unbelievable. Full, a full bowl of soup. Uh, the Anthony Davis trade rumors, which were absolutely wild. I felt like for uh, a week leading up to the trade deadline, that was all I was hearing about was the different offers that were being reported and all such a uh, all matter of that. Uh, the KP trade, where KP went into a meeting with uh, Knicks management Steve Mills, Scott Perry, and James Dolan, or a combination of uh, a combination of the three, and basically said he didn't want to be there anymore. And then he was traded within a matter of hours after that meeting. Unbelievable. The term load management, which was being used across the league, most notably by Kawhi Leonard, uh, to basically insinuate rest and a way to describe rest, which was hilarious. General soreness also was another term that was used. I found that quite funny. Uh, we had Westbrook versus the Utah Jazz fan, which was you know kind of a ter- kind of a serious situation with Westbrook. Uh, uh, basically responding to the fans' racist comments. We had KD versus Draymond, where Draymond basically called out Kevin Durant during the season, saying he didn't want to be here, he wasn't coming back next year, and all that fiasco. We had the demise of Big Baller Brand, where Alan Foster was shown to be uh, basically stealing money from Lonzo Ball, about $1.5 million, uh, of money that was unaccounted for. That was quite a bit uh, of a fiasco. And uh, Dylan Moore, uh, one of the representatives, was throwing out uh, his merch, which was, you know, again, kind of crazy. We had the playoff mode activated uh, comment from LeBron James, which is basically insinuating that the Lakers are going to try to make the playoffs and he's going to activate his playoff mode a little earlier than usual. Clearly, we see that that was a big failure. We had Doncic versus Trey Young, the two guys that were traded for each other on draft night, going at it with Doncic getting out to a massive lead in the Rookie of the Year lace, and then Trey Young coming on very strong at the end of the year, which actually made it a conversation which it was otherwise wouldn't have been uh, if it would not for Trey Young's incredible play. We had. Giannis versus Harden in the MVP race, probably one of the closest MVP races I can remember in a long time. Uh, I think people are still split on who is the MVP at this point. Uh, we had James Dolan, who banned a fan who basically told him, sell the team, and that was enough for him to be banned from Madison Square Garden. Again, absolutely hilarious. Uh, we had Russell Westbrook's 2020-20 game, which was the role, was supposed to represent the role in 60s for the late rapper Nipsey Hussle. Rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle, on that one. Incredible game for Russell Westbrook, and obviously shout out to Nipsey Hussle, his music and everything he was doing for the culture. We had the Bulls Leadership Committee, where the team, I guess, wasn't feeling the antics of their coach, and basically put together a leadership committee to basically (laughs) try and organize all of the antics that were going on, um, with uh, (laughs) the leader being Robin Lopez, uh, convincing them to go to practice. And then finally, we had the Colangelo Burner account fiasco, which was just an absolute crap show. Uh, I I can remember doing the research and staying up till 2 to 3 a.m. trying to find the tweets from the different five or six accounts that they had associated with that. Just an absolute craziness. So we had no shortage 
of fun events to talk about this year, and uh, I think it was uh, it was fun putting together a nice little uh, nice little list of the things that happened uh, during the year and kind of rehashing that before we uh, before we get into the playoffs. Okay, so let's talk about the difference between the regular season and the playoffs because there are there are quite a few differences that I don't think people tend to realize. So let's start off with the regular season. So the regular season, you get in there, you know, games one through ten. Games 1 through 20, even 1 through 30, even half the year in some cases, there's a lot of experimenting going on. So most teams have a new new players, new coaches, new assistant coaches, new trainers. And so there's some experimenting that goes on, especially in the early parts of the year. And that comes with, you know, juggling lineups. So in some cases, teams, they're not going to try to lose games, but they will they will take a loss just to prove to themselves that specific things within their team don't work, whether it's a specific lineup that plays down the stretch in crunch time that they find can't get shots or basically gets attacked defensively and they can't really find a solution to that. They will make note of that during specific losses and say, hey, okay, we tried this lineup, it didn't work, one regular season loss to have that data going forward that we won't lose any more games is in some cases a risk that teams are willing to take and along with that is the rotation still incorporate most of the team and try to see what everybody's got so you know rotations will be about 12 players on any given night i mean some teams will go less some teams will go more depending on how deep their roster is but about 12 players, I would say, is probably the max that you'll see on any given night in terms of players that will actually contribute. And the same goes with sets and X's and O's and stuff like that. Coaches like to see what actions they can run for specific players during the regular season. Uh, they want to see what out-of-timeouts uh, and what plays in that scenario uh, will work against certain players and with certain players and against certain defensive looks. Uh, so, for example, they want to see, okay... Uh, the Raptors did this a lot, is when out of timeouts came, they say, okay, we're going to try our zone defenses against teams when they come out of timeouts. That gave the Raptors a little kind of taste of what it's like to play zone against teams who have set plays going up against the Raptors, and it allowed them to kind of practice that where in the regular season, there's not a lot of practice time for these players, and that's a lot of the stuff that gets worked on uh, before the season starts and in training camp and things of that nature. Um, so things like, you know, high pick and rolls with slow immobile bigs, like what, what players excel in those situations. Uh, for example, hammer actions, uh, where the, there will be a pass that goes to the corner and there will be a screen that gets set, uh, by another player that will allow, uh, an extra second or two to open up for a guy to shoot a corner three. Again, the Raptors, uh, run this play with Danny Green where they have a guy set a little back screen to allow Danny Green to get an open corner three. They want to see, okay, which guys on the offensive side and the defensive side, you know, kind of fall asleep or are things that they can talk about in the film room after during regular season games when they see some things that do and don't work. So let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about travel. So in the regular season, teams are traveling across the United States regularly, uh, uh, almost on a night-to-night basis. This naturally leads to leisure time for players. So in games, so in nights before games in places like New York and LA and Miami and Atlanta, these are cities with a lot of things to do, especially on the nightlife side of things. And so sometimes that comes with 
uh, the nightlife and be able to hang it out with, you know, rappers. Like, for example, Atlanta has a ton of rappers in the city, being uh, Gucci Mane, 2 Chains, Migos. A lot of these guys, you know, they like to hang out with those guys. There's rappers, are friends with basketball players and vice versa, and they like to hang out with those guys. And so, naturally, you can see some nightlife activities carrying over into the night before a game, etc. And this is just simply the nature of NBA lifestyle. I mean, uh, not all players will participate in this, but there's definitely some that have... Uh, uh, ha- have some connections in the pop culture world and like to kind of uh, leverage those uh, connections and situations at clubs and whatnot. And uh, continuing with that is also the rest portion of things. So fairly self-explanatory. In the NBA, sometimes you play back-to-backs. Sometimes you play three games in four nights. And some pl- and some players are simply just not ready to go on some nights or just have a very tough time executing on the third night, uh, third game in four nights. And, you know, sometimes players get rested um, just to kind of preserve their bodies and be able to, you know, go uh, and play maybe an important game a couple nights later and things of that nature. So now we move into the playoffs, and the first thing you talk when you talk about the playoffs is everything is higher stakes. Everything is magnified in the playoffs. Every get ga- and games are just different from the regular season on a number of different levels. Like everything is amplified. Uh, the will to win becomes everything. Like their wins feel a lot better and losses hurt a lot more. And there's very little room for your team to be separated uh, culture-wise in the playoffs. Preparation is also a massive key here. Uh, when it comes to the playoffs, things uh, become a little bit more predictable. Uh, you know not only where you're going to be uh, during a specific series, whether it be first round, second round, third round, or in the finals, you're going to be in two places. Either you're going to be on your home court with the uh, the playoffs adopting the two games at home, two games on the road, and then one game at home, one game on the road, one game at home, and that will swap depending on whether uh, you have the higher or lower seed. But you know you're going to be in two places over the next two and a half weeks or so. So little small things come into play, like even you know leaning on your favorite food spots, for example, just to kind of get you into a routine on the road is something that some players will go to. Uh, and there's also no back-to-backs. So your ability to prepare your body for the grind of a playoff series is a little bit easier knowing that you're never going to play a back-to-back and you always get that day or two in between of recovery time and to be able to watch film on the game before. Uh, players are also uh, start to read those scouting reports that tend to fall by the wayside during the regular season. Uh, not every, you know, some guys are friends, they think they know their games, this, that, and the other, or some guys that they don't believe are threats because they weren't a threat last year, and now this year they're, they have a much more expanded game. So, for example, Nikola Vucevic. Uh, in the past, you know, Nikola Vucevic wasn't necessarily a massive threat uh, to NBA teams and things of that nature, but now he's become a 20-10 and 10 guy. So, Clearly, he's picked up some more advanced moves, and therefore, the scouting report on that for the Raptors, again, I keep using the Raptors as an example here, but the Raptors are going to w- read that scouting report on Vucevic. Does he like to turn left or right shoulder in the post? Does he? How many dribbles does he like to take? Does he like to pass out of, it, uh, out of the post in specific situations? Those type of things get magnified a little bit more. And players tend to read those scouting reports and really kind of entrench them into their brains uh, so when they're guarding their specific player, they'll know what their go-to moves are. Do they like to go left in certain situations? Do they like to go right? Uh, All this stuff gets uh, studied a little more closely. And every opportunity to get an edge at this stage needs to be taken advantage of because, again, every, every win matters as well. 
In the playoffs, the, place of, the pace of play is a little bit different as well. Uh, things tend to slow down. Uh, there's much less transition play, and teams will force you to execute in the half court so they can set their own defense. Uh, you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team, maybe other than the Golden State Warriors, who are willing to just completely outrun you and give up a ton of points in transition. They want to make sure that, hey, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us by executing against our best defensive sets uh, with all five guys communicating in the half court. And that's just the way that coaches choose to play defense and allow um, and allow their players to maximize those opportunities playing against the best offensive players. There'll be opportunities, obviously, where, you know, you'll, you'll be running up and down the court and you'll make plays outside of your system. But the fact of the matter is, is that coaches become a lot bigger in the playoffs because when your team is hemorrhaging points and the other team goes on a 10-0 run, 7-0 run, 10-0 run, 13-0 run, they're going to rely on their coach to be able to get them into a set that's going to allow them to stop the bleeding. Or they're going to rely on their coach to uh, recognize a situation where their defense is giving up points and be able to call a timeout and make that adjustment on the fly. Coaches are massively important in the playoffs, uh, more so in the regular season because Everything is magnified, like I talked about before. Like every single possession is magnified, and if you can, if you have a coach and that coach is able to make an adjustment very quickly, that you know kind of shuts off the water of what an offense has going on any given night. That's incredibly valuable when uh, these games become very close, when they become one, two possession games, four or five point wins. Those those possessions really really matter. Rotations is also a massive thing here in the playoffs. Uh, by the time the season starts, coaches know who their best players are and they know who they can trust. Uh, the regular season, like I mentioned, you could go up to maybe as much as 12 players. Your playoff rotations are going to shrink drastically down to seven, eight, nine guys. And minutes for those seven, eight, or nine guys will also increase uh, dr- drastically as uh, those are the guys that coaches trust on the floor and those are the guys they want to see win them and uh, and defend uh, in those high high leverage and high stakes moments. Leadership also becomes a big thing here in the playoffs. Does your team have playoff experience? So for the Nuggets this year, for example, going up against the Spurs, that's one of the things where if the Nuggets do have a place where they might lose a series against a Spurs team who is clearly you know less talented, it's the fact that Greg Popovich is a proven, experienced coach, and the fact that you know Mike Malone does have some experience in the playoffs, but that Nuggets roster outside of maybe Paul Millsap really are you know playoff newbies, and they don't really know what it's like to be in those moments. Whereas guys like you know Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, Demar Derozan. And a few other of the Spurs guys have played in a lot of playoff games, and they know uh, they know what it's like to be in those moments. Uh, so, so those things matter. Those things matter. And for that particular particular series, that will be interesting to see how uh, that aspect of the game plays out. Another thing we talk about in the playoffs is magnified strengths and magnified weaknesses, uh, specifically magnified weaknesses. So. There's a, there's a substantial amount of NBA players that will not survive in a second round, third round, or NBA final series. They simply become unplayable. Uh, and the reason is for this is because their weaknesses become amplified. Like, if you can't defend, expect a team to make sure you are playing defense on every possession down the floor. If you can't shoot, teams are going to make sure that you shoot every time down the floor. Teams seek out these weaknesses and attack them relentlessly. And so I've actually written down here some examples of uh, these types of weaknesses exactly. So... Let's, t- let's take a nice rewind to a few years back in the 2015 NBA playoffs. The second round, the Golden State Warriors versus the Memphis Grizzlies in the second round, Game 4. 
So this was before the Warriors had Kevin Durant. This is when, you know, it was uh, Harrison Barnes uh, in the starting lineup in place of Durant. And they had Andrew Bogut. And the Warriors were down 2-1 in that series and decided to put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and leaving Tony Allen to free to shoot as many threes as he wants. So they realized that Tony Allen wasn't able to make shots. You know, Tony Allen regarded as one of the better defenders ever, you know, realistically in the NBA. In fact, Kobe himself has mentioned that Tony Allen was one of his toughest uh, defensive assignments when he was on offense. Tony Allen played him the best defensively. But he's not necessarily an offensive player. So the Warriors basically allowed Bogut to clog the lane, left Tony Allen completely unguarded in the corners, up on the wing, etc., and allowed Bogut to clog the paint on drives and corral rebounds and basically forced the kickouts to the only open shooter who was Tony Allen. And this strategy proved effective as the Warriors won that game and obviously won that series and went on, went on to win the championship that, that year. But that just is a good example of making guys who have weaknesses use those weaknesses. Tony Allen, not a regarded shooter. They made Tony Allen shoot a ton of shots in that game. I don't have the exact numbers of how many he did shoot, but I can remember so many times where they left him wide open and Bogut would just look at him. And when the shot goes up, he turned his back to try to find a guy and get a rebound. And again, that strategy proved to be effective down the stretch. Another example here, the 2018 NBA playoffs, so last year's NBA playoffs, the Warriors versus the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference Finals, um, specifically referring to Game 4 and 5, but almost the whole series, realistically. The Rockets used, basically, whoever Stephen Curry was guarding, they used that person as a screener, they put him in pick and roll, and forced Curry to switch on to either James Harden or Chris Paul. And they attacked him on the block, they attacked him behind the three-point line, etc., and that's not necessarily to say that Curry is a bad defender because I don't think Curry is a bad defender. He, in fact, he held up for most of the for most of that series, uh, given their strategy. But if you have a choice between Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, and Stephen Curry, Curry is clearly the weakest defender of that bunch, which is just a testament to how good the Warriors are defensively. And again, the strategy proved to be effective as Houston went up 3-2 in that series and there was a number of times where you know CP3 a couple times that actually dropped Curry uh, for points Harden was able to get to his step back uh, against Curry and to get into the lane as well so it did prove to be effective and then we know what happened after that uh, CP3 um, blew out his hamstring in the final seconds of game five didn't play game six and seven and then Houston in game seven had a historically bad shooting night missing 27 straight threes and they still only lost to the Golden State Warriors by nine so I mean they technically almost won that series it was very close Last example I'll give uh, for magnified weaknesses is the 2018 playoffs again in the first round uh, the Portland Trailblazers versus the New Orleans Pelicans and I'm talking the whole series here New Orleans did an excellent job of making it a point to trap Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum in the pick and roll and force them to pass the ball out to a release valve and I think that at that time it was Yusuf Nurkic and basically not only did they force the the release foul pass but they forced anybody else but cj and dame to beat them and they said okay yusuf nurkic okay al faruk okay maurice harkless let's see if you guys can beat us and that again strategy proved to be effective um dame turned the ball over quite a bit cj did as well and also dame and cj got attacked uh defensively by drew holiday by anthony davis in the pick and roll uh with along with their other big so 
it, it did prove to be effective. And again, Portland was swept in the series by the New Orleans Pelicans. So again, just another example of how your weaknesses become magnified in the playoffs because they attack them relentlessly. So the whistle is the last thing I'll talk about, and it's kind of a you know, very quick thing. Um, there, there's not necessarily a regular regular season rulebook and a playoff rulebook, but there are regular season fouls that don't get called in the playoffs. Uh, it's very clear, I think at this point, that the refs let the players decide the game, and they, don't, the, they the refs, don't want to let them decide the game, so there's a lot of physicality that goes on and you have to learn to play through contact uh, and it's why at times guys like DeMar DeRozan who's uh, known for getting to the line and why guys like James Harden who's also known for getting to the line have uh, tend to not be their best uh, when it comes to uh, the playoffs and it's because of those ticky-tack fouls that get called in the regular season just aren't there for them in the playoffs as well. So last thing kind of to wrap up the pod here is I wanted to kind of foresee some potential weaknesses in these this coming playoffs, outlining specific players that I think might get attacked uh, defensively in one way or another. So three guys I've listed here: Demarcus Cousins, Nikola Jokic, Enos Kanter. Uh, these slower, less mobile centers will definitely be attacked in the pick and roll. Uh, Nikola Jokic specifically has done a little bit of a better job of defending in terms of the hedge and recover strategy that uh, Denver applied early in the season and continued to do so throughout the season, which proved to be uh, effective. But this is not uncommon for playoff basketball. Attacking slow bigs is kind of low-hanging fruit, and... That's why I've said on previous podcasts that DeMarcus Cousins won't be a part of the Warriors' best five-man lineup because it just gives uh, that team facing DeMarcus Cousins a place to attack defensively. We know how good DeMarcus Cousins is offensively in his ability to score, and you know this this kind of uh, applies to Ennis Cantor, although Ennis Cantor is a substantially worse defender than DeMarcus Cousins. But both of those guys can score. But the fact that they are going to be attacked defensively on every possession may prove to make them a little bit unplayable or minorly playable in certain playoff series. And so that's probably something you guys should look out for uh, when watching those series. Uh, Four more names here. Pascal Siakam, Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Al Farouk These guys have many strengths, but the one glaring thing that they aren't as strong at is shooting. Now, Pascal Siakam, 37% from three, has really come on um, as the year has progressed. But if you're the Magic in the first round, you're sure not letting Kyle Lowry beat you from three. You're not going to let Danny Green beat you from three. You're not going to let Kawhi Leonard beat you from three. The guy you want shooting the threes is Pascal Siakam. So Pascal Siakam is going to have to prove that he can make those three-pointers above the break and in the corners. And same goes for Ben Simmons. They're like, the, the Brooklyn Nets are going to play way off Ben Simmons and say, hey, shoot the ball. Let's see how good of a shooter you really are because we don't believe in that shooting. Giannis, the same thing. I don't think that Detroit has a chance necessarily against Milwaukee in the first round, but as they get deeper into the playoffs, you're going to see uh, teams like either Boston or Indiana or possibly you know Toronto or Philly. They're going to say, "Hey, Giannis, let's see you let's see you shoot them threes. We're not going to let you bully. We're not going to let you bully us. We're going to play way off you to make sure that you can't bully us by getting into the paint." And again, with those. With the, phys- with the increased physicality, Giannis being able to bully guys, yeah, he still might get to the rim, but he might not get as many of those fouls calls that he's used to getting during the regular season. Uh, Giannis shoots nine free throws uh, per game. 
So you, you, you'd expect that number to come down a little bit, and I think Giannis is going to have to prove he's going to make that three, he's, that he can make that three uh, to, keep those, uh, to keep those defenders honest and to have to actually come out so Giannis has the room to drive by to the rim and make those kickouts uh, and things of that nature. And same goes for Al Farouk-Aminu in this series. I mean, the, the Thunder are going to play off of Al Farouk-Aminu. They're going to say, hey, Dame Lillard, TJ McCollum, they're not beating us. You know, Mo Harkless is a decent shooter. He's not going to beat us either. We're going to force Alfaru Kaminu to make those threes kind of in a similar mold to how Tony Allen. Now, obviously, Alfaru Kaminu, much better shooter than Tony Allen was, but they're going to employ that same strategy. If Aminu can't make those threes, Portland is going to have a very, very tough time executing offensively when the the paint is clogged and the only guy that's open is Aminu who's uh, not being able to shoot. And on the on the other side, if Aminu is able to make those open threes, then it's going to be up to the Thunder to make those adjustments to say, okay, Aminu's knocking down these open threes. We have to make sure that we're covering him and play a more traditional style of defense and just uh, and and hope that you know Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum can't beat us like they. Uh, like they have against many teams in the regular season. Now, I understand that uh, Portland didn't beat OKC in the regular season, but again, playoffs are a totally different animal, so we'll see how that goes. Last set of players here, Rudy Gobert, Steven Adams, Clint Capella, and Kyle Korver. What these guys have in common is expect these guys to have to defend guards one-on-one off of switches. Uh, Houston, Portland, and Utah. So in Houston's case, it'll be uh, James Harden and Chris Paul. In Portland's case, it'll be C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard. And in Utah's case, it'll mostly just be Donovan Mitchell. They're going to seek out these bigs and Kyle Korver to defend on the perimeter. I mean, if if Rudy Gobert is in a screen and roll, just like Houston did last year in the second round against Utah, they're going to drag they're going to drag out uh, Rudy Gobert outside of the paint to make sure that he has no shot blocking ability in the paint. And a guy like Chris Paul will say, "Okay, well, I'll take you one on one." I'll take you one-on-one, I'll blow by you, force the help, and I will read where the help is coming from and make the appropriate pass to the shooter uh, in the corner or above the break. Or they'll say, hey, uh, we're going to give you that mid-range shot like uh, Utah did against Houston in the second round last year, and that proved to be ineffective. Uh, Chris Paul ate that up. I was watching uh, I was watching a lot of the highlights. Chris Paul absolutely ate up those mid-range shots uh, that Utah was giving up, so that's going to prove to be ineffective. So you can expect Houston to employ a similar strategy uh, this year as well. Uh, same goes with Steven Adams. I mean, I think I think it was it's fair to expect that you're going to uh, want to drag Steven Adams outside of the paint, uh, have uh, CJ McCollum and or Damian Lillard attack him one-on-one, be able to drive by and see if they can finish at the rim with uh, very little shot blocking there. Uh, I think that that's a, a viable strategy for Portland to employ if they think uh, they can beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, or will try to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, I should say. Same thing with Clint Capella. Clint, Clint Capella is a great shot blocker. I expect... Donovan Mitchell to drag him outside of the paint, make uh, Capella switch and try to defend one-on-one on the perimeter, and Donovan Mitchell can get by, and we know his athleticism. He can finish at the rim, and Houston is a very small team. They don't have a lot of size on that team, so the shot blocking is going to be very minimal for those guys, so we'll see how that happens. Excuse me. And lastly, Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver is 38 years old and has never really proven to be an effective one-on-one defender, so... To think that Houston won't put him in every ball screen and try to switch him, much like they will Rudy Gobert, to say, hey, we're switch on to Harden, try to defend me one-on-one, it's it's going to be very, very difficult for Kyle Korver to stay on the floor if he can't prove to be somewhat effective in stopping Chris Paul and James Harden one-on-one after they hunt out those switches. So 
We'll see. Maybe if Kyle Kors making enough shots, maybe he can uh, prove his value and be able to stay on the floor. But if he can't hold up defensively, it's going to be very tough for him to provide any value uh, for Utah in that series. And so that wraps it up for today. Uh, I hope this gave you kind of a good insight into what you can expect from playoff basketball and maybe uh, some things to look at in the first round series. Again, didn't do a full deep dive on all eight first round series. Maybe we'll do, uh, once we get to the semis, conference, and the finals, we'll do uh, some individual series breakdowns. But hopefully this gives you some things to kind of look out for uh, as the playoffs start on to, on Saturday. Uh, Saturday... April the 13th is when the first series uh, starts. So it should be a fun one. Uh, very excited for these playoffs. Uh, personally, I'm excited for the Eastern Conference. Uh, once we get to those second rounds, a lot of those a lot of those series are going to be great. Uh, and same with the West. A uh, lot of great series to look forward there too as well. So uh, thanks for listening once again. Uh, we hope you enjoy the playoffs. There will be more content coming out from me during the playoffs. But uh, let's, uh, let's enjoy the first round series while we got them. Till then.